the we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, The X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Welcome everyone to Too Good To Be True. Thank you for taking the time to listen. The subject for today's show is famous inventors, including Leonardo da Vinci, Thomas Edison, Hedy Lamarr, and briefly, Steve Jobs. Before we start getting into details, let's just talk about psychic insight and how we apply it. We choose a subject and research it, and based on that research, we determine what we think needs to be explained by creating a series of questions and just seem to provide psychic insight to answer those questions. The psychic insight is narrated towards the end of the show. Accepting the psychic insight is a question of individual belief. Now let's go through the disclaimers. Here are the disclaimers. Neither of us claim to have any expertise in any subjects that we discuss. We relate information we find through research in the psychic insight. We are always delighted to hear from the listeners. The show only lasts an hour. We don't have the time to present exhaustive research on any topic. This means that there will be information that we miss. We want to provide a basis for the psychic insight. We don't care if a theory turns out too good to be true, as the show name suggests. We are only interested in finding out more of the truth about topics. Spirit can only relate insight that is appropriate for our time in history. Free will cannot be affected. Only comments that are appropriate for our time can be given through the psychic insight. Much of the subject matter in shows may have already been covered many times in other media. 
We want to look into subjects in a new, different way and be thought-provoking. We're not so good with pronouncing names. We apologize. And neither of us have any particular knowledge of the histories, history of inventors or inventions. If we have misstated anything, we apologize. The first order of business is a shout-out to the listener whose idea prompted the subject for today's show. Thank you to the listener for the suggestion. We really enjoy the listener suggestions, so here's an echo of the shout-out. I think almost everyone would have heard of Leonardo da Vinci, who is known for his genius, especially in the world of art. Why don't you provide a quick bio? Encyclopedia Britannica provides that information. Leonardo da Vinci, born 15th of April 15, 1452, and Ciano near Vinci, Republic of Florence, died May the 2nd, 1519, Clau, now Clau, Lucie, France, Italian painter, draftsman, sculptor, architect, and engineer, whose genius, perhaps more than any, more than that of any other figure, epitomized the Renaissance humanist ideal. His Last Supper, 1495 to 98, and Mona Lisa, circa 1503 to 19, are among the most widely popular and influential paintings of the Renaissance. His notebooks reveal a spirit of scientific inquiry and mechanical inventiveness that were centuries ahead of their time, unquote. What was Leonardo's education? The biography website provides a quick summary. Quote, young da Vinci received little formal education beyond basic reading, writing and mathematics instruction, but his artistic talents were evident from an early age. Around the age of 14, da Vinci began a lengthy apprenticeship with the noted artist Andrea del Verrocchio in Florence. He learned a wide breadth of technical skills, including metalworking, leather arts, carpentry, drawing, painting, and sculpting, unquote. So he was taught skills, but didn't study science or math at a university. According to Encyclopedia Britannica, da, Vin da Vinci didn't study higher math until he was 30 years old when he began to thoroughly study the subject. Being self-taught, what were his inventions? His, his inventions were only on paper, as the Genius Staff website explains. Quote, Leonardo da Vinci may well have been the greatest inventor in history, yet he had very little effect on the technology of his time. Da Vinci drew sketches and diagrams of his inventions, which he preserved in his notebooks, but either he lost interest in building them or, or was never able to convince one of his wealthy patrons to finance construction of his designs. As a result, almost none of da Vinci's inventions were built during his lifetime. And because he never published his diagrams, nobody else knew about them until his notebooks were discovered long after his death. That's a pity because da Vinci's designs were spectacularly ahead of its time. If they had been built, they may have revolutionized the history of technology though many of them would have been impossible to build with the tools available in the 15th and 16th centuries. In recent years, however, engineers have began to construct models of da Vinci's amazing machines, and most of them actually work, unquote. Okay, I think we need some examples. The Genius Staff website provides plenty of examples, starting with the ball bearing. Quote, as an invention, the ball bearing doesn't seem at all, all that impressive, but much of modern technology depends on it. Ball bearings make it possible for drive shafts to rotate, for goods to roll along ramps in a factory or a store, and for mechanical devices in general to operate. By placing a smoothly rolling sphere between moving surfaces, 
ball bearings and eliminate friction. The idea can be traced back to the Roman Empire, but many historians believe that da Vinci's notebooks contain the first practical designs. Many of the devices that he conceived depend on them, and he wouldn't have operated without them. Of course, as, as with many of da Vinci's ideas, the concept was never made widely known, and the ball bearing had to be reinvented by someone else. Unquote. If you are an engineer, the invention of a ball bearing means a lot. But can you provide an example of something that would resonate more with the general public? The Genius Staff website provides the example of the parachute. Quote, da Vinci, who was fascinated by the idea of human flight, conceived his parachute as a way for people to drift gracefully through his, the air. Its pyramid-shaped framework was draped with cloth. As da Vinci wrote in his notebooks, it would allow a man to throw himself down from any great height without suffering any injury. 21st century attempts to build the design suggest that it would have worked pretty much as da Vinci described, unquote. I don't think we have time to describe any more inventions, but why don't you provide some idea of the range of his radical ideas? His inventions did include the diving suit, the armored tank, the barreled cannon, the flying machine, the ma machine gun, the pe pendulum clock, the self-prepared cart, the revolving bridge, the robotic knight or robot, and the first continuous variable transmission that produces better gas mileage in some of the vehicles of today. Barreling in a gun or cannon spins the projectile for greater accuracy. I think it's time to move on to Thomas Edison. An article in the magazine The New Yorker dated October the 21st, 2019, describes the real nature of Thomas Edison's genius, starting with a statement. The inventor did not look for problems in need of solutions. He looked for solutions in need of modification. The prime example may be the light bulb, which he didn't really invent. The New Yorker article explains that he, perfect, per, he perfected an existing invention. Quote, Thomas Edison was already well known by the time he perfected a long-burning incandescent light bulb, but he was photographed next to one of them so often that the public began, sorry, came to associate the bulbs with the invention itself. That made sense. By a kind of transitive property of ingenuity during his lifetime, Edison patented a record-setting 1,093 different inventions. On a single day in 1888, he wrote down 112 ideas Average across his adult life, he patented something roughly every 11 days. There was the light bulb and the phonograph, of course, but also the kinetoscope, the dictating machine, the alkaline battery, and the electric meter, plus a sap extractor, a talking doll, the world's largest rock crusher, an electric pen, a fruit preserver, and a tornado-proof house, unquote. The electric pen, originally designed to make copies from a single document, became the ink machines that are used today by tattooists. How was Edison educated to become the world's best-known inventor? By not attending school. The following is from the Foundation for Economic Education, or FEE, website from a 1995 article. Quote, In 1854, Reverend G.B. Engel belittled one of his students, seven-year-old Thomas Ed Alva Edison, as adult, this outraged the youngster, and he stormed out of the Port Huron, Michigan school, the first formal school he had ever attended. His mother, Nancy Edison, brought him back the next day to discuss the situation with Reverend Engel, but she became angry at his rigid ways. Everything was forced on the kids. 
she withdrew her son from the school where she, he had been for only three months and resolved to educate him at home. Although he seems to have briefly attended two more schools, nearly all his childhood learning took place at home, unquote. After homeschooling, did he go to college? He didn't. The FEE article continues, quote, as a homeschooled, self-educated youth, Edison learned lessons that were to serve him all his life. He learned education was his own responsibility. He learned to take initiative. He learned to be persistent. He learned he could gain practical knowledge, inspiration, wisdom by reading books. He learned to discover all kinds of things from methodical observation. He learned education as a continuing joyful process. At 20, Edison got a job as, a, as an itinerant Western Union telegraph operator and became remarkably proficient. He worked in Cincinnati, Louisville, Indianapolis, Memphis, Boston, and New York. The more he learned about telegraphy, the more he wanted to learn. He took apart equipment and reassembled it until he understood how it worked. He experimented with ways to make it better. He decided that greater knowledge of chemistry would help him, so he haunted used bookstores and ordered chemistry books from London and Paris. He filled his rented rooms with chemicals and junk metal for his experiments. One associate observed, he spent his money buying apparatus and books and wouldn't buy clothing. That winter he went without an overcoat and nearly froze, unquote. We'll have to continue after the short break. And you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Patty Conklin grew up in Brooktondale, New York, with a unique ability. Unlike others, she could see how the vibration of words and emotions affected the physical body. She discovered how to release stored emotion and facilitate healing. This began today's Conklin method of cellular cleansing. The private practice grew with tremendous results, as did her reputation. More and more people sought her out, bringing her into the home for healing. She soon realized she could even teach this to others, and they could shift perception and thus prevent illness from occurring. Patty Conklin quickly became a frequent keynote speaker, and she developed a curriculum for teaching the Conklin method of cellular cleansing. For more information, visit pattyconklin.com. P-A-T-T-I-C-O-N-K-L-I-N, pattyconklin.com, or call 404-474-0086. That's 404-474-0086. Mission Evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals, as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. 
I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality. It's formulated from zoolite, whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit VitalityHappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Welcome back to To You, Good To Be True. And before the break, we were discussing Thomas Edison and his schooling. So how did his learning transition into becoming an inventor? Here's more from the FEE article. Quote, Edison's knowledge and enterprise led to a dramatic series of inventions. On January the 25th, 1869, he applied for a patent on, on a telegraphic stock ticker, which after he filed patents for dozens of successive improvements, became standard office equipment in American Europe. Edison invented a printing telegraph for gold bullion and foreign exchange dealers. Western Union and his rivals battled to gain control of Edison's patents, which revolutionized the telegraph business. For example, he figured out how a central telegraph office could control the performance of telegraph equipment at remote locations. He developed a method for transmitting four messages simultaneously over the same wire. Intense curiosity, nourished by his home education, drove him to become perhaps America's best technician on telegraphy, unquote. The article de- continues describing how Edison arrived at the idea of the phonograph from the noise produced by his invention of the automated telegraph. Wasn't Edison a competitor to Nikola Tesla? Yes, Edison was born in 1847, whereas Tesla was born in 1856, so they were contemporaries. In a previous episode, we discussed how Tesla's AC electric current went went out over Edison's DC electric current. For the 1888 Niagara Falls Power Project, AC was adopted and and became standard as it is today. Edison was was a very different inventor to Tesla. He certainly got all the glory. In a 2014 article, the Life Science website through Leonard Leonard, sorry, de Graaf, an archivist at uh, Thomas Edison National Historical Park in New Jersey, explains why Edison had the incredible success that he did. Quote, Edison's enduring legacy isn't a specific pattern or technology, but the invention of patterns which divided the innovation process into small tasks that were carried out by legions of workers, de Graaf said. For example, 
Edison got the idea for moving the for a moving picture camera or kinetoscope from a from a talk by photographer Edward Mybridge, but then left most of the experimentation and prototyping to his assistant William Dixon and others. By having multi multiple patterns and, and inventions developing in, developing in parallel, Edison in turn ensured that his assistants had a stable financial situation to continue running experiments and fleshing out more designs. He invents modern innovation as we know it, DeGraff said. Tesla's inventions are the backbone of modern power and communication systems, but he faded into obscurity later. In the 20th century, when most of his inventions were lost to history, despite his many patents and innovations, Tesla was destitute when he died in 1943, In addition to the use of AC versus DC electric current, Denham, Edison, and Tesla have an ongoing rivalry. Their rivalry seems to have been exaggerated. Tesla worked for Edison for his, first, for his first job when he arrived in the United States from Europe, as the History Channel website explains. Quote, Tesla arrived in New York in 1884 and was hired by an engineer at Thomas Edison's Manhattan headquarters. He worked there for a year, impressing Edison with his diligence and ingenuity. At one point, Edison told Tesla he would pay $50,000 for an improved design for his DC dynamos. After months of experimentation, Tesla presented a solution and asked for the money. Edison demurred and sa saying, Tesla, you don't understand our American humor. Tesla quit soon after, unquote. Edison tried various scare tactics, including electrocuting animals to put the public off of AC electric current. But I couldn't find other inventions where they went head to head as direct competitors. Changing subjects, who is the third inventor we are going to discuss? Hedy Lamar. I haven't really heard of Hedy Lamar. Here's part of her biography from the Hedy Lamar website. Quote, often called the most beautiful woman in films, Hedy Lamar's beauty and screen presence made her one of the most popular actresses of her day. She was born Hedwig Eva Maria Kiesler on November the 9th, 1914 in Vienna, Austria. At 17 years old, Hedy starred in her first film, a German project called Geld auf der Strasse. Hedy continued her, firm, her film career by working on both German and Czechoslovakian productions. The 1932 German film Ecstasy brought her to the attention of Hollywood producers and she soon signed a contract with MGN, unquote. How did Hedy become an inventor? The Woman's History website provides a narrative, quote, In Hollywood, Lamar was introduced to a variety of quirky real-life characters such as businessman and pilot Howard Hughes. Lamar dated Hughes, but was most notably interested with his desire for innovation. Her scientific mind had been bottled up by Hollywood, but Hughes helped to fuel the inventor Lamar, giving her a small set of equipment to use in a trailer on set. While she had an inventing table set up in her house, the small set allowed Lamar to work on inventions between t in, in, work on inventions between takes. Hughes took her to his airplane factories, showed her how the planes were built, and introduced her to the scientists behind his manufacturing process. Lamar was inspired to innovate as Hughes wanted to create faster planes that could be sold to the U.S. military. She bought a book of fish and a book of birds and looked at the fastest of each kind. She combined the fins of the fastest fish and wings of the fastest bird 
to sketch a new wing design for Hughes' planes. Upon showing the design to Hughes, he said to Lamar, you're a genius, unquote. What scientific training had she received? Multiple sources state that she was primarily self-taught. What were her inventions? Here's more from the Women's History uh, website. Quote, Lamar was indeed a genius as the gears in her inventive mind continued to turn. She once said, improving things comes naturally to me. She went on to create an upgraded stoplight and a tablet that dissolved in water to make a soda similar to Coca-Cola. However, her most significant invention was engineered as the United States geared up to enter World War II, unquote. Her most famous invention was a frequency hopping signal, which she co-invented with George Antheil. Who was George Antheil? He was a pianist, composer and author. The following is from Wikipedia, quote, During World War II, Lamar learned that radio-controlled torpedoes, an emerging technology in naval war, could easily be jammed and set off course. She thought of creating a frequency-hopping signal that could not be tracked or jammed. She contacted her friend, composer and pianist, George Anthill, to help her develop a device for doing that, and he succeeded by synchronizing a miniaturized player piano mechanism, mechanism with radio signals. They drafted designs for the frequency-hopping system, which they patented. The article continues. Their invention was granted a patent under U.S. Patent 292387 on August 11, 1942, filed using a married name, Hedy Kiesler Markey. However, it was technologically difficult to implement, implement, and at the time, the U.S. Navy was not receptive to considering inventions coming out from outside the military. In 1962, at the time of the Cuban Missile Crisis, an updated version of their design was installed on Navy ships. Their first contributions were formally recognized in the late 20th, 20th and early 21st centuries. Unquote. Hedy's first husband, Frederick Mandau, was chairman of a large Austrian munitions firm that helped equip Hitler's military. Apparently, he socialized with Hitler and other Nazis. So, Hedy Lamar must have had some knowledge of weaponry. For the application that drove her invention, she must have known something about naval torpedoes. What recognition did the co-inventors receive? Here's more from the Women's History website. Quote, Meanwhile, Lamar's patent expired before she ever saw a penny from it. While she continued to accumulate credits in films until 1958, her inventive genius was yet to be recognized by the public. It wasn't until Lamar's later years that she received any awards for her invention. The Electronic Frontier Foundation jointly awarded Lamar and Antheil with the Pioneer Award in 1997. Lamar also became the first woman to receive the Invention Conventions Bulby Nass Spirit of Achievement Award. Although she died in, in the year 2000, Lamar was inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame for the development of her frequency hopping technology in 2014. Such achievement has led Lamar to be dubbed the mother of Wi-Fi and other wireless communications like GPS and Bluetooth, unquote. Those are incredible achievements. We have time to talk briefly about Apple inventor Steve Jobs. Through movies about his life and inventions, I think that people are pretty familiar with his achievements. I agree. So what is left to be said about him? Well, two things, really. He dropped out of college, but did later attend some classes on an intuition basis. 
so he appears to have been largely self-taught. Also, he had an interest in Zen Buddhism, Buddhism and meditation. What is Zen Buddhism? The BBC website provides an explanation. Quote, Zen Buddhism, Buddhism sorry, is a mixture of Indian Mahayana Buddhism and Taoism. It began in China, spread to Korea and Japan, and then and became popular in the West from the mid-20th century. The essence of Zen is attempting to understand the meaning of life directly without being misled by logical thought or language. Unquote. Love to continue discussing Steve Jobs after this short break. And you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com, or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Xzone Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, always remember Exxon Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Join Patty Conklin and Healing Within Radio each week. More than entertainment, Healing Within offers educational, useful tools for everyday life. Listen for help overcoming fear, anxiety, and depression. Patty knows about eliminating cancer, MS, dementia, Parkinson's, and a host of illnesses that we face every day. Life can be good. Life is good. All you need are simple tools to start changing your life. Start right now by visiting pattyconklin.com. P-A-T-T-I-C-O-N-K-L-I-N. No matter where you are in the world, you can work with Patty through Skype, phone, or in person visiting one of her retreats in Georgia. Visit pattyconklin.com today or call our offices at 404-474-0086. That's pattyconklin.com or call 404-474-0086. Coming soon to the Exxon Broadcast Network is a different perspective with me, Kevin Randall, as your host. We'll be taking a close look at what is happening in the world of UFOs today with side trips into the paranormal. 
guests will range from those who are household names to those who have a different perspective on a variety of topics. No topic will be taboo, but there will be tough questions asked as we all search for the truth about UFOs, the paranormal, and those things that excite us. Sometimes we'll agree with a guest and sometimes we won't, but we'll try to keep the program topical. For those of you who would like to read, be sure to visit www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and remember to listen to the other fine programs on the X-Zone Broadcast Network at www.xzbn.net. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we were discussing the famous Steve Jobs and his relation to Zen Buddhism. So how great was Steve Jobs' interest in Zen? The following is from the Nippon website. Quote, put up for adoption immediately after birth, Steve Jobs was a spiritual seeker from an early age. As a 19-year-old college dropout, he traveled to India in search of the wisdom of the East a kind of spiritual rite of passage for young adults of the, that generation, unquote. He read extensively, sparking a lifelong interest in Zen. What did Steve Jobs gain from Zen and meditation? The Meditation USA website states that Jobs wanted to gain the courage to follow his intuition, to find his inner voice. Also, he wanted the ascetics of simplicity to discard everything and leave only the essence. Finally, he wanted to constantly evolve and innovate, even if it meant overcoming failure after failure. With that, it's time for the first question. Starting with Leonardo da Vinci, what can you say about the Renaissance humanist ideal? Basically, that it was very forward-thinking, you could say. So it was very out there, but it basically was just minds opening up themselves and taking in all ideas. How could an individual have genius as a painter, draftsman, sculptor, architect, and engineer? Basically, just a very special person who has a brain that can function in many different ways. So really expanding the brain and letting in all concepts. And instead of putting up these limitations, opening up those limitations. Are there any people living in the world today who are in the same category as da Vinci as a genius? Yes. Why don't we hear about them? Basically, kids at a young age are taught to focus on one subject, not many. So it'd be very hard for a student, for example, if their major was art, to really expand into the different fields. So it's a limitation that society in a way places where you choose a subject, you stick with that subject. So it would take more IQ testing, which can be very expensive, to really figure out who these people are. Where did da Vinci get his genius from with his notebooks revealing a spirit of scientific inquiry and mechanical inventiveness centuries ahead of their time? Basically, again, being able to connect to thoughts many people aren't able to connect with. So expanding, letting the thoughts come in any type of way, and also connecting to not only the people, but the universe around him. So connecting to this oneness. In da Vinci's painting, The Last Supper, is a figure to Jesus' left, Mary Magdalene, or Simon known as Simon the Zealot? It is Simon. Why does he look so like a female? More feminine features, so more trying to portray the possible personality. So in a way, when you look at it, you think of a female, which doesn't exactly mean you have to be female at birth, but someone who has a more feminine energy. 
Did Simon have a feminine energy? And that's what Da Vinci concluded, yes. In the painting, why are the 12 disciples grouped in four groups of three? As teams, you could say. So there's nothing really symbolic about it? Not really, you know. Is the subject of the painting the Mona Lisa, the Italian noblewoman, Lisa Gerardini? That's one of the figures it's based off of, yes. But there are also ideas taken from other women as well. So it's a composite made up from several women? Yes. Why is the Mona Lisa so significant and so famous? Basically because of the way it makes people feel. So there's the initial confusion, but then everyone feels a very different way about it. So that's what art in general does, is it releases feelings. How could da Vinci develop his vast knowledge from little formal education beyond basic reading, writing, and mathematics instruction? Basically, he thought in a different way. So he didn't need the formal training to be able to achieve what he did. So sometimes formal training actually hinders people and makes it so they are more limited. So he just thought way differently than most than many people. Although da Vinci had artistic talents as a 14-year-old, why would there be an available apprenticeship with a wide breadth of technical skills that included metalworking, leather arts, carpentry, drawing, painting, and sculpting? Basically, it was just the path that was set. So it was what the cards linked up. Why did da Vinci wait until he was 30 years old to start studying math and then thoroughly studying it? It was his new calling at that age, so he decided he wanted to do more. Was it lack of money or lack of interest why da Vinci's experiments stayed on paper and were never constructed? Yes, and also his status. So for a very long time, he was viewed as less than because of not having the education. So if he had formal qualifications as an engineer, he might have realized some of his inventions. Correct. Why did da Vinci design many inventions that couldn't have been built with 15th or 16th century tools? Basically, as ideas, as the technology advanced. So it was way beyond his time where the ideas were supposed to be used as technology actually advanced. Why didn't da Vinci publish his ideas with them only being found in notebooks long after his death? He wasn't so confident in them. So he wanted to document them, but didn't really know who to give them to or who would believe that he actually made them. How did da Vinci arrive at the idea of the ball bearing, an invention that is essential to modern civilization? He basically thought that himself. So again, it goes back to opening up his mind and just letting the information come through. How did da Vinci arrive at the idea of the parachute with his design actually built in the 21st century working pretty much as he had described. He studied different animals and how they fly and based it off of that. How did da Vinci arrive at so many ideas that are inventions commonly seen in the modern world, such as the diving suit, the armored tank, the barrel cannon, the flying machine, the machine gun, and the pendulum clock? Basically, again, he had his ultimate knowledge and genius level that many people can only dream of achieving. So his brain worked in a different way and was wired in a different way. What else can you say about the inventions put down on paper by Leonardo da Vinci and where he got his ideas from? Basically, you can say that the universe helped him. So ideas were ready in the universe and he was able to grab those ideas as well. 
Changing subject to Thomas Edison, did he look for solutions in need of modification, with the light bulb being a prime example? Yes, he did. Was Edison often photographed next to light bulbs in order that the public would think he was the inventor? Yes. How could Edison patent 1,093 inventions in his lifetime, which is equivalent to a new patent roughly every 11 days during his adult life? Again, genius level IQ. So thinking in a different way and being able to process information much faster than a normal person. How could Edison on a single day in 1888 write down 112 ideas? Again, just the fast processing. So being able to process multiple ideas at one time and to do this constantly. How did Edison get his ideas? Basically, his came from his brain. So it was the possibilities where he viewed every single possibility and wrote those down. What would our world be like today without Edison's inventions or his improvement of existing inventions? Technology would be a lot more backwards. So technology would be stuck even centuries before where it just wouldn't be the same as of today. And even with computers, computers would not be anywhere near what they are today if there weren't simple inventions he made first. In 1854, why did the Reverend G.B. Engel belittle one of his students, seven-year-old Thomas Edison, as adult? Misunderstanding. So when someone's different, people sometimes turn to fear, which can actually punish the child. So it's this fear of the unknown and fear of the mysteries with a person who's different. Was it important for the young Edison to get away from a rigid educational environment with his homeschooling important in maintaining his creativity? Yes, 100%. What can you say about Edison apparently learning that education can be a continuing joyful process or gaining practical knowledge, inspiration and wisdom by reading books? Basically, the expanding of knowledge. So this goes back to processing ideas faster. So being able to process information, really think about the information, and especially books help with that since books really say a lot about endless possibilities. Why would Edison think that a greater knowledge of chemistry would help him improve telegraphy equipment? Basically, he realized that almost every field has overlap and is related. So he believed that he did know more about chemistry. He would be able to relate the concepts. So he was looking for a field to kind of fill in the missing pieces. Why did he apparently neglect buying an overcoat to keep himself in warm warm in winter by spending his money on apparatus and books. He spent his money on what was important to him. So his own self-care and taking care of himself really wasn't that important. He just wanted to work on his ideas. Did Edison realize beforehand that his invention of the stock market ticker and similar other inventions would have such a great economic importance to the telegraph industry and commerce as a whole? No, he had no idea how important they were going to be. Is it correct that Edison industrialized innovation by small tasks being carried out by a legion of workers? Yes. Why do Tesla's inventions appear to be less well-known than Edison's? Is it because they were more fundamental and less of them, whereas Edison is known for specific inventions such as the phonograph? That and also a lot of Tesla's work wasn't recognized right away. So a lot of Tesla's work was hidden away for a long time, 
but we'll have to continue after the short break discussing da Vinci and other inventors. And you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simul TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today.
Memorable dynamic presentations are a not-so-secret weapon in the business world. Do you have a powerful message that must be shared, but you haven't found a way to deliver that message? Do you want to be known as a top public speaker who gets amazing results? Are you ready to create and deliver your powerful message? Thomas Hides can help you create and deliver your speech to get the results you desire. Visit IconQuality.com. Did you expect your business to flourish, but instead it plateaued or didn't get off the ground yet? Would you like to achieve massive goals and discover new sources of income within your business? When you're ready to experience that type of success with fast results, Cindy Hendricks is the business coach for you. Her work with entrepreneurs and business owners has been life-changing. To get you and your business where you want to be, go to imaginemoresuccess.com. Has the fear of public speaking stalled your business or personal life? What would you give to develop and maintain supreme confidence? Have an invaluable private program to always perform at your best. Imagine how you would feel. You can have all that and so much more today with Thomas Hyde's life-changing course called Number One Fear Unleashed. Visit NumberOneFear.com and be liberated from your fear of public speaking. too good to be true. And before the break, we are discussing Edison and Tesla. Dad, can you please continue with the questions? Why is there the belief that Tesla and Edison were fierce competitors throughout their lifetimes when their competition seems to be centered around AC versus DC current as the standard electrical supply for the masses? Basically, yes, they were competition, but that actually drove them more. So it was this dive to see someone who's more on their level, which actually drove them to thinking to have more ideas and more inventions. So sometimes when someone is on that type of genius level, it's actually good to have other competitors where this competition actually makes them want to work harder. So there's more to their competition than AC versus DC current? Yes. What was Tesla and Edison's motivation? Rather than destroying each other, was it to bring out the best in each other? Yes, 100%, and especially with electricity being their main competition. But there was more in the background about that also. So it wasn't just AC versus DC, but there is a lot more about how that could actually be used. So that's where it goes into more complicated inventions, which even include more far-fetched concepts, such as being able to travel through time. Why did Edison have to use scare tactics such as electrocuting animals in trying to win the AC versus DC argument? So that's a complex question, but when someone reaches that level of IQ, that level of processing, they lose some other vital human characteristics. So they get so obsessed with an idea that they lose a lot of their empathy for others, even their social skills. So basically it wasn't even that he was thinking he was doing something wrong. It was that he couldn't even understand that he was doing something wrong since he wanted to prove his point so much. So it almost becomes an obsession where it's all they can think about. Why did Edison, after employing Tesla, promise him $50,000 for improved design for his DC Dynamo and then not paying him when Tesla presented a solution? Again, lacking those human skills, so lacking those social skills. So especially when you put two people together, who are that high functioning, that smart, 
it's very hard for them to have an even normal or semi-normal social relationship. Was that incident a major reason why Tesla left Edison's employment? Yes. What else can you say about the inventions of Thomas Edison and where he got his ideas from, including driving innovation on an industrial scale? Basically, again, just the high processing of his brain. So where it functions so much quicker than a normal person, where he could come up with all these different ideas. So he would see something, see an issue, see something around him, such as nature, and he would basically grab an idea out of thin air from there. Changing subject to Hedy Lamar, how did businessman and pilot Howard Hughes recognize her talent for invention, especially as being an inventor wouldn't be expected of a Hollywood movie actress? Basically just luck. So they met and he just happened to recognize her intelligence? Correct. Did Hetty buy a book of fish and a book of birds, looking at the fastest of each kind, and then sketch a new wing design for Howard Hughes' planes? Yes. On seeing the design, did Howard Hughes tell Hetty that she was a genius? Yes. How could Hetty be such a successful inventor without a formal scientific education, having been largely self-taught? Having a formal education doesn't always work for everyone. In a lot of cases with someone that's smart, formal education can actually hinder them from their creativity. Was Hetty's recognition of radio-controlled torpedoes as an emerging technology, at least in part due to her knowledge gained about weaponry during her first marriage to munitions manufacturer, to a munitions manufacturer who rubbed shoulders with Hitler and other Nazis? Yes. In approaching George Anthale, how did Hetty connect the frequencies of different notes produced by a piano with radio frequencies? Was it that they are just waves of different wavelengths? Basically, she was able to connect the dots, picking up on the likely mess of them. So the higher IQ allowed her to connect the dots way quicker than anyone else would. So basically, it was almost a visual representation to her where she could see the different wavelengths, the different notes, and make the connection between the two. Was Hedy Lamar's invention of frequency hopping signals so ahead of its time that the sole reason why she only received recognition late in life, or was it because she was a Hollywood actress and as such was not taken seriously? Basically a combination of both. So she wasn't taken very seriously, but people didn't understand what she's talking about. Is it appropriate for Hedy Lamar to be dubbed the mother of Wi-Fi and other wireless communications like GPS and Bluetooth? Yes. What else can you say about the adventures of Hedy Lamar and where she got her ideas from? Basically, again, it's about expanding your brain and seeing things in a different way. So she wouldn't have just let her brain go wherever it wanted to. Otherwise, she wouldn't have figured out her major concepts. So instead of being overwhelmed, even stressed, focusing on one concept, thinking about all the possibilities that weren't discovered yet. Changing subject to Steve Jobs, why did it seem to, why did it seem to be well known? Why doesn't it seem to be well known that he had more than a passing interest in Zen Buddhism and in meditation? It's not a topic that's going to make headlines. So if you see Steve Jobs and Buddhists in headlines, not many people are going to be interested in it. Did being put up for adoption as an infant have an influence on Job's religious and intellectual journey? Yes, 100%. What can you say about the benefits of a belief in Zen Buddhism and practicing meditation? 
Meditation is all about expanding your brain and also reaching oneness within yourself and even the universe around you. So meditation is very beneficial even for people who don't have Buddhist beliefs, where it can calm you, help with anxiety, and can help you even with small things like losing something. Let's say you're anxious about losing your wallet. If you meditate, you may be able to retrace your steps and find the wallet easily. So it's all about centering yourself and being able to let your brain wander where it's not focusing on one concept, but also the limitless possibilities. So society as a whole wants people to think all the time, focus on certain aspects, but instead the brain needs time to rest. Did Steve Jobs find courage to follow his intuition to achieve simplicity and to constantly evolve and, in, and innovate? Yes. What else can you say about Steve Jobs' beliefs and where he got his ideas from? He followed a lot of important figures. So he did actually follow a lot of Buddhist monks and their journeys and saw how they expanded their own minds. Why did Steve Jobs die so young? It was just on his path, unfortunately. None of the inventors we have discussed had the benefit of a complete formal college education. Does that suggest that being a great inventor requires the ability to be self-taught? Not always, no. So there are some that actually benefit from a structure, from the formal education. But as a whole, when someone does have a higher IQ, it does help where they can express themselves since they will be viewed as different. So it's not really the education system which is the issue. It's a concept that if you are different, you are labeled as strange, weird, you are not the norm. So it's allowing education to have room for people who are different, who think in a different way, and being able to work with them. Does being a great inventor involve experiencing failure and having the inner strength to believe in oneself in order to keep trying? Yes, and many inventors use that as a motivation, where if they are not successful, that motivates them to work harder, faster, and come up with new concepts. That was the last answer. Even when extremely talented, is recognition of personal achievements within a lifetime too good to be true? That depends on what you are prepared to believe. I guess we shouldn't have had the disclaimer that we were trying to bash the educational system. It seemed a common theme in all the inventors that uh, essentially they had um, a, a sound education, but after that were, were self-taught. Yeah, I think the ultimate conclusion kind of at the end there is that some people do need the more rigid structure of formal education, but then some people don't. So it seems that even in the last few years, especially in college education, there's different ways that the different education kind of adapts to the people where it's not just you go to school from eight to five, but you can take classes online or you can skip a semester. So I think really you see that more in the college education system where it's not as structured and fits more to people's needs. I was interested in the comment about making room for people that are different. Um, it seems in the 21st century that um, the type of nonsense that went on when I was in um, middle school or so forth is still going on, that people that are different tend to be singled out and maybe cyberbullied. Yeah, I think it's a lot about acceptance and I believe it's getting better. But again, it's realizing that just because someone's different doesn't mean they're strange. I'm sure a lot of these inventors, which we obviously can't talk to them, um, but I believe a lot of these inventors probably did have a lot of stories about how they were singled out. Yes, and uh, certainly Edison was singled out by the reverend, his teacher, 
and I guess he was. I guess the story was, or the take was that uh, he was uh, was scared of uh, of what he was. I guess so. Maybe fear has got a lot to do with it. Well, I think it's also interesting going into Steve Jobs and his life and with the meditation and the Zen Buddhism, how he really benefited from that. So I think the theme here, too, is that people learn in all different ways and come up with ideas in all different ways. So it's very important to adapt the learning to one's learning style. So I think a lot of schools are trying to do that where each child actually learns different. But on that note, I'll mention our Facebook page and our Instagram, our Facebook page at Too Good To Be True, with the first two spelled T-W-O, and our Instagram page at T-W-O-G-T-B-T. We would love to hear from the listeners. If you have any suggestions, I want to give a final shout out to the listener who suggested today's show. And as always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to next week's show. Thank you.